Agents Podcast. Have a fractional real estate interest that you want to sell? Do you even know what the hell that even means? Are you privy uh, to the world of real estate syndications? I'm not. And that's why I took an interest in today's guest and uh, the platform that he's a part of. And actually, it was interesting. It was a conversation that started on Instagram and led to, obviously, this interview today. And we've had you know a meeting uh, in between. And it's been fascinating to learn. And, and frankly, I don't know a fraction of what I think I'm going to learn today because this is an interesting topic, an interesting world that I didn't even know existed, an interesting business model that uh, that they are now building. And it all has potential opportunity for every single one of you listening. So without further ado, welcome to the show, Christian Sadler. You are with a platform called Pre-iShare, which we're going to talk more about that today. Uh, but welcome to the show. Uh, I, I think I teased it just enough to make people wonder what the hell this is even going to be about. And uh, I'm I'm curious uh, to learn a little bit more about you first, and then let's get in and I'm going to just drill you with questions. So tell us about you. Yeah, that sounds great. Thank you, Jeff. Uh, by all means, uh, great lead in. And so I'm just a real estate nerd. You know, I decided when I was a pretty young guy, 17 years old, that I was going to be a real estate investor. And that came from, you know, various different uh, things. Just really, I, I was raised by a single mom of four. She is absolutely my hero. I don't know how she did it, especially with a pain in the ass like me as a kid. And, uh, um, you know, we there was a lot of things that, that weren't an option for me when I was younger. And when I saw the families that had the lifestyle that I wished I had, or I, I, I thought that I wanted in the future... Their parents always owned real estate. They always invested in real estate somehow or some form or some fashion. And so I decided I wanted to be a real estate investor. I got into that very young. Uh, I started going to the seminars and things, you know, when in my in my uh, late teens and then started spending money on those programs. I mean, I spent tens of thousands of dollars and, and hours and hours of my time from the age of 18 to 22 and really didn't have any traction whatsoever besides buying my own home. I think I bought that when I was like 20 years old, 19 or 20 years old, uh, just because I couldn't stand the thought of rent. And uh, so I bought my own house. But other than that, I didn't have any rental properties. I didn't have any investment you know, deals that I had done, even though I had spent all this time educating and learning my, uh, you know, the, the processes. And so uh, I finally found a, a group locally and they had mentors in place. They had a community of people that were actually doing deals. And that was kind of the, the turning point for me. I was able to put rubber to the road and put the knowledge into action. So I became an investor at 22 years old is when I walked away from my job and haven't worked for anybody else ever since. Uh, so since then, I've been an entrepreneur, mostly a real estate investor. And you know, I just kind of got in that role. But through the ups and downs and the roller coaster of that, I found myself kind of stuck in the flipping lifestyle. I, I call myself a recovering flipper because I still still do it here and there. There's definitely a creative outlet to it, and it's a good way to make money. But when it really comes down to it, I don't think flipping uh, properties is really considered investing in my mind anymore because really you're always actively going out there and chasing that next deal, right? And so that wasn't the reason I got into real estate in the first place. I got into real estate for the lifestyle, for the passive income, for the money that continued to pay me from work that I had already done. 
And so I started making that shift. And in the process, I still needed to make sure that I had a daily income. And I was kind of in a, at a crux in, in my career of deciding how to do that. So I decided to get my real estate license. Oh, you know, 17 years of being an investor, I never got my license, never thought I wanted to be an agent. And then I just saw an opportunity to be something different in the marketplace, uh, joined real estate brokerage that's partnered with ABC4 and has some really unique twists to what they do. Um, and the broker actually was the only guy that I ever really paid more as a listing agent because he did more. And so when I decided to get my license, I didn't even know he had a brokerage that he was, you know, allowing other agents to be a part of. And when he uh, gave me the opportunity, I jumped on that. And that's been a real fun ride. I just, uh, I'm about what, uh, 10, now 14 days away, two weeks away from my two years, because I just had to renew my license, right? You have to do that every two years here in Utah. And uh, man, it's been a lot of fun. It's been a great daily income. And I really feel like I bring a, a value to the marketplace that just isn't out there, not only with the things that the brokerage has in place, but with all of my experience as an investor and in the shoes of the client, right? And, and the customer. And so, you know, it gives me that perspective to really mediate uh, that situation. But in the process, when I thought that I was gonna dedicate majority of my daily time towards that while I was building my portfolio, and uh, I really was ready, you know, I, I, I did about $160,000 net uh, commissions up and above any costs of dues and marketing and everything else my first year. And I really thought I was on track for about a half a million the second year. But then I got the, the knock on the door, so to speak. It was actually a phone call um, from the guys over that were deciding to create pre-iShare. And so Sky had introduced me to Mike Anderson. Uh, hopefully you'll get the chance to have him on the show as well because he has so much more experience than me uh, in real estate syndications. He's literally been syndicating real estate deals for longer than I've been alive. You know, this guy has just done uh, billions and billions of dollars, yes, with a B, of, uh, of real estate transactions. And so... When they called me, I didn't realize how big the opportunity really was, but the more I got involved and thought that I was gonna do this kind of on the side, the more it has just like given me a different sense of power of being a part of helping create a legacy to the industry and create solutions that aren't really seen out there right now. And in real estate syndications, you know, that's that's a big industry. There's there's a lot of people that are syndicating large commercial real estate transactions. And some of the things that we've done seem like common or some, some of the things that we're doing seem like they would be common sense. But as far as we can tell, nobody's built them yet. It's a lot to unpack there. Uh, so let me start with backtracking because I, I want to get obviously get into the syndication and really actually for those listening that really aren't too familiar with syndication, I want you to kind of give an explanation as to what syndication is. Yeah. But first, you know, you mentioned it's funny that you said that you spent those four years from 18 to 22 just really consuming and learning. That's what I took from what you said, which uh, and it was all, you know, you didn't get anything out of it. Uh, how many how many listening to this can say the same thing about college? <laughs> almost, almost the same thing, because I was thinking to myself, I'm like, I mean, you're already ahead of the curve because most of us are going, well, not anymore, but maybe our generation was going off to college and, and partying those four years away, getting that piece of paper that we probably didn't even end up using anyway. And then, you know, you came out of it, first investment deal at 22, whereas most people are coming out of college just thinking about, where's the first apartment they're going to, how am I going to move out of mom and dad's house? You know? Mm -hmm. um, so it's pretty fascinating. So as, as 
as you mentioned that is so you, you i mean you started really young what was the the point i don't think you said the actual turning point from when you when you were all in investing how many properties did you flip and invest in up until the point where you kind of just jumped back jumped off and into the real estate agent world uh well to the agent world or just to the investing full time uh well both what were, what were both what were both timelines okay. well i i will say that i did the first part I did everything wrong. And then the second part is seemingly I did it every I did it all backwards, right? Because most people get their license first to learn the business and get involved. And uh, I had been in real estate for over 17 years, transacting and, and never had my license. So I didn't get my license until two years ago. And that is again, that's 17 years down the road. Um, now, when I went full time, I did that way too early. And I don't recommend, you know, making that leap. Uh, I kind of just as in quitting your day job and going full time investing. Yes, exactly. Yep. I had a little bit of traction behind me. You know, I, I had like uh, done a couple of wholesale deals and I could, I was surrounded by a lot of people that were making very big money. And sometimes um, when you're surrounded by people that are doing big things, it's easy to lull, you, lull yourself into the idea that you're just automatically going to do that too. And there is something that's almost automatic to, to it if you surround yourself with the right people for a long enough period of time. But I also had to learn the skills of being an entrepreneur, because there's a big difference between going and showing up and getting paid regardless of the results to only getting paid from the results that you're getting, right? So I had some really tough times in the very beginning when I when I quit my job. And, uh, and then I was lucky enough to find a business partner within that community of real estate investors. We partnered up and within a very short amount of time, we had millions of dollars in real estate. We had, you know, seven figures in in equity. But then I learned that, uh, you know, counting your equity eggs is not necessarily a, a good thing, especially because this was June of 2007. So if anybody can think backwards <laughs> of, uh, you know, what was going on during that time, uh, threw, threw us into a big whirlwind. We ended up losing pretty much all the real estate that we had over that next three years, just trying to hold on. We had good incomes during that time, you know, in the beginning. So we still kind of had this sense that we were going to make it through and, and nobody could have predicted just how bad it was going to get. Uh, but then I had to rebuild from that. And I've had to, I, I feel like I've had to rebuild myself, you know, at least three or four times throughout this process uh, of going from, you know, being pretty good financially to being almost, you know, worst case scenario to building myself back up again. Since you mentioned it, um, and only because I, you know, I think this is this is can be somewhat of an inspiring story to anyone listening or anyone who has kids who might want to get in and follow a similar path. Uh, how did you recover from 0708 and and how long did it take? Or, you know, kind of talk about that story a little bit about how you did were able to recover. Cause honestly, I didn't recover. Um, I said, screw investing after that. Like we just got our ass handed to us and we were like, I'm out. And and I've dabbled since, but nothing like I was doing pre-crash. Yeah. Well, I'll say, so right when the, the market crashed, we were literally weeks away from being financially free. Like literally all that equity that I talked about, we were supposed to be able to leverage into that equity and we were going to be buying large multifamily units we already had them chosen. You know, we had a few units out in Texas. And when I say a few, I mean a few properties with 100 plus units that we were planning on buying. And the cash flow 
from those properties, just based on what they were already doing, would have paid for everything. Like I literally could have been free at that point. But uh, unfortunately, timing didn't work out for me on that. And uh, so that was a, a big lesson I learned from that was we held on way too long. We kept thinking we were going to get things done. We had a lot of professionals that were saying, you know, we just closed this deal yesterday. We just closed this deal last week. We think we're going to get this done for you. I mean, literally getting to the day before closing and then having the banks, you know, shut off their programs that would have fit our scenario. Uh, if anybody was, you know, alive during that time or in real estate, you know, you know that some people even made it all the way to the closing table signed the documents and then had the money pulled back. We didn't quite get that far, but we had multiple banks that just, just pulled their programs back. And then we just kept fighting because we were making good money on another business, which was tied into real estate, real estate investing education. So we had money coming in there and we just kept fighting and fighting. Finally got the refinance done that we needed to, to get done. But by then we were so far behind, a few bad months is really what kind of pushed us over the edge. And, and, uh, how did we come back from it is I had to go back to the basics. And so I went back to finding people that were in tough spots, which there were a lot of them at that point in time, and then helping them out of those tough spots with my knowledge around real estate. So we were doing short sales. We were doing subject to transactions. You know, we were coming in and, and wholesaling properties because we had friends that were buying at the auction. So we would partner with them and say, okay, you're buying the properties. We've got the sellers, you know, let's, let's connect this to where we can get paid in this uh, scenario. Uh, in between somehow. And so that's how we got back into it. And that's that's how I recovered in the first place. I remember in like, I think it was 2010 that I made the decision that I was always going to have at least one deal in the works. And at that time, I had one short sale that I was working on. It took me 18 months to negotiate that one deal to finally get uh, that property and then when we bought it, we bought it for $85,000. We did the remodel, very little remodel, sold it for like $185,000. And uh, I mean, our net profit was probably, I don't know, 20 grand or something. But that 20 grand was like that step up. And by the time we got that deal done, we had a couple others in the works. And then since that point in time, I can't think of a time since then that I haven't had some sort of a deal going. Now, it's been a lot of different types of transactions. You know, I've done uh, land, I've done commercial, I've done multifamily, I've done, um, you know, a lot of just single family fix and flips. And so there's always something going on. And I've, I've uh, probably to my detriment in a little bit, I've been like the jack of all trades. I've taken any deal that comes my way and, you know, figured it out, you know, throughout the process. Wow. Interesting. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's a testament, though, because not many survived that. And uh, I'm one of them. I raised my hand and said, I'm out, man. I'm not doing that again. Um, but it was an interesting time. And, and and I think most of the anybody in the business knows exactly what we're talking about. Like you can you can resonate with that. Yeah, so, I mean, it's, it's something to be proud of just from the fact that I never had to go back and work for somebody else. I never, you know, I, I never got out of the game, but it wasn't an easy thing. It wasn't uh, it wasn't fun. I went through some really dark moments, you know, in multiple situations. Uh, it's it's fascinating, and I'm going to take the uh, the natural segue and move over to syndication now, uh, because that makes all the sense in the world. So, but that's what this is about. Uh, but I think it was interesting to hear that story. Now, let's talk about what you guys have going on and what has led to that, you know, that phone call, or I guess what has transpired since that phone call. And so, but let's start with. Yeah, let's start with that story, man. Let's start with like, what was the phone call about? Why did they want you? And then tell us a little bit more about syndication in general, and then really more about what Pre-iShare is doing. 
Sure. Yeah. And if, if I stop at all, feel free to, you know, remind me where you want me to go with it. Absolutely. But that phone call, you know, it was really, they were looking for somebody who had somewhat of a social media presence that was real estate based um, and wanted to help them build something. And I didn't really know what that something was and kind of what they sold me on. Cause I don't have a huge following on social media. Um, you know, there's a lot, a lot of people that have a much bigger following. One thing I did well is Facebook. Facebook has been pretty lucrative for me. You know, it's paid me hundreds of thousands of dollars over the years. And I actually, I actually fought getting on Facebook for a long time. And once I finally did, uh, I maxed out on the 5,000 friend limit in like six months. And then since then, I've I've kind of refined that down because every time I'm meeting somebody and going out to an event, then I need to get rid of people that I don't really know, right? So now I have about 5,000 friends on Facebook. And that's been like my core uh, social media platform that I think has paid me the most. But I also have a big, you know, a decent sized network on LinkedIn. And, you know, I'm, I was looking to grow my other platforms. And so they kind of presented the opportunity of how would you like it if somebody helped bankroll um, building out your social media? And I like that idea. Um, we've been so focused on building out the company itself that we haven't necessarily gone deep into my own personal brand. But that's kind of what got me interested. And, and I wanted to know more about what they were doing. And this is where I'm going to talk about what syndication is. So the rest of it makes sense. Uh, syndication is when you get into real estate, usually you get to a point in time where you can no longer fund deals with your own money and with just the people, you know, that, you know, or a hard money lender, you know, banks are only going to lend so much. And so if you want to do a hundred unit apartment complex, for example, and you don't have that $5 million to spend, then you're going to go out there and you're going to do what's called a syndication. And because once you start pulling a certain amount of people together, you start raising money from a certain amount of people. And I'm not going to try and go through what the laws are, but you're dealing in securities, whether you know it or not. And this is where you really want to be careful if you start pooling funds together, because you're now dealing in securities and the SEC is watching like a hawk. They're probably not going to see anything unless you do something where somebody loses money. And once somebody complains, that's where, you know, they can kind of bring hell down on you, really. And so you want to be be careful in how you structure things, make sure you're doing it properly. And a syndication is just the legal way of pooling funds together. You're usually going to put together a, a private placement memorandum. You're going to create an entity specific for that property that you're buying it within. You're going to have uh, a GP interest, which is you as the person running the deal, and you're going to have LP interests, which is all the people that are bringing in the funds. And so the difference between a syndication, for example, and a, a fund is if you were going to do a fund, that, that would mean you were going to be going and buying a certain type of asset, and you're going to be reusing those that same money over and over again. Whereas with a syndication, it's specific to one deal. So you're going to go and buy this 100-unit apartment complex. You need to raise $5 million. You know you can get, let's say for this example, $2.5 million from the bank because it's a distressed asset. And the other $2.5 million, you've got to raise somewhere else. And so you pool that money together. You get the deal done. You do your value add. And if I'm throwing out any words that uh, you know are, are kind of coin words, value add is just you're doing something to the property to increase its value. So whether that is changing the way that, that the rent is collected, or you're actually fixing the property or remodeling the, the entire thing, you're adding value to that to where now you're bringing up 
not only the value, but especially the income. The income in commercial real estate really determines a lot of the value most of the time. And so you go through that process and then you either exit the deal by refinancing or selling, and then you're gonna go do this again. So most people, they don't syndicate to do one deal. They usually will syndicate the first deal and then they will continue to go down the road of being a real estate syndicator. And this is what happened with, uh, with Mike Anderson. So uh, Mike, our CEO and president now, we just we just actually invited him to be our CEO and president. He was an, an advisor uh, for most of this time with uh, with PreIShare. He syndicated for over 40 years. And with his uh, with one of his most recent companies that he sold five years ago to his partner, uh, they had done over six and a half billion dollars in real estate transactions, all syndicated multifamily real estate transactions. I think he said over about 17 states. And so he had retired. And obviously, so when he retired, they had about a billion dollars in assets under management. And that's not something that you can necessarily get cashed out of most of the time, right, <laughs> to get bought out. And so what they did was they transferred the majority of his GP interest to LP interest. So now he became a passive investor like most of the people that he had raised uh, funds from over time. And he just started to realize through that and through retiring that there was a lot of things with the industry that, that he wished there were solutions for. And so uh, I'll just run through some of those solutions and then I'll, I'll give you the chance to ask some questions. But the first one is the, the liquidity factor. A big reason that many people don't invest in real estate is because that money is not liquid. Usually if you get into a real estate transaction, you're two years or five years or eight years into the deal. That, that money is tied up. And if for some reason you wanna get your money out earlier, there's not a lot of options. And oftentimes those options are, you go back to the person who put the deal together and ask them to buy you out. And if they're not willing to do it, you offer it up to the other people that are involved in the deal and see if they will buy you out. And you can imagine you're kind of not in a good position negotiation wise. If you're going to the guys who know what you bought in for, um, they're, they're usually going to be trying to negotiate at the bare minimum, right? Because you're trying to take your money out of a deal that you committed to long term. And so the liquidity factor was a big thing that uh, that Mike wanted to solve, that people could get out of a deal, still take a good portion of their profit, uh, but not have it be too much of a pain in the butt for the syndicator, because the reason that there's not a lot of liquidity in there is usually if you're syndicating uh, transactions, like I said, you're on to the next deal. So if you've got this deal done and it's operating and you've got managers in place and you're just going through the process, you don't want to have to go raise a, raise money from new investors to pay for an old deal because you're probably already raising money for your next deal, if that makes sense. And so what we wanted to do with pre-iShare is we wanted to create an open marketplace and we wanted to change the industry where operating agreements were written in ways that just offer more liquidity within those investments. So we've got a listing hub where literally you could list your fractional shares of real estate syndications and then somebody else can offer to buy those. Now it's still gotta go through, it's gotta be accredited investors. This is not open to the general public. And that's typically a, a real estate syndication. That's typically how it's gonna be. If you are uh, able to allow non-accredited investors out there, which the accredited investor term is a legal term, by the way, go look it up. It has some specific meanings. Um, 
But if it's usually limited on how many people you can bring into a deal that are not accredited, and then depending on you know risk and everything else, you may even have to go above a step above accredited to a qualified investor. But most syndications, you got to have somebody that is an accredited investor, which the basic rules are about a million dollars in in net worth, not including your own home, two hundred thousand dollars in income for the last two years if you're single, three hundred if you are um, uh, married. And there's some other parameters to that, and it changes all the time. So again, I'm not telling you what the definition is, but just to give you guys kind of an idea. So what we want to do is create marketing and, and media around real estate and syndications and accredited investors so that there is a buyer's pool for those fractional shares. So if somebody has a hard situation, they can get out of that deal. Or if they just simply want to redeploy that cash into something else, be it something that is, you know, another investment or they just want to go spend some money. It doesn't really matter. They should have options for that. That's the that's the first solution that we wanted to create. Now, on top of that, pre-iShare, the, the main way that we're going to get paid as an entity is we have created a fund. So we've created a fund that we plan on raising. Uh, first year, our goal is $100 million. And then we want to take that money to buy those fractional shares. So somebody can list their fractional share and then get an offer from the fund at the same time so that we can create some of that uh, quickness in, in, in being able to move that. But also it fits into our business model of late stage investing into uh, real estate. So I, I packed a lot there. Do you want to talk any more about that before I move on to some of the other things that we're doing? No, I'd say keep going. I mean, the only, really, the only question it makes it all makes sense is 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 not being in that world, and I don't think a lot of realtors are. Is is that common? Uh, is it common that investors? Because w- w- what is the what is the the standard investor look like? I mean, are we talking about like? doctors or attorneys or successful business people or teachers? What are we talking about here that just want to deploy money, but don't want to take on the risk? They just basically want the guaranteed return, but the, obviously the upside's much lower. Is that is that how you would describe a typical investor? Now, are you talking about an investor in the fund or somebody that is wanting to sell their fractional shares? Uh, well, just a standard, just in, in, a, in a traditional, because you guys are solving something that doesn't exist, you know, I guess that doesn't exist or doesn't, there's not much out there because what you're saying is when somebody invests in a syndication, oftentimes you're stuck, there's no way out. Or if you want out, you're going to get chopped off at the knees. Right. Um, And so what, what even, what does even a standard, you know, what is it? Is there such a thing? Is there such a thing where that's a typical, I mean, you mentioned the various parameters, which isn't, crazy a million dollars in net worth not that's not liquid so there's a lot of people that if you own some real estate you probably have a million dollars in net worth right yeah um but it, you know is there is there a certain model match usually with this sort of thing or no so there's definitely plenty of them out there is, like is it common it is absolutely common there is trillions and trillions of dollars in real estate funded through real estate syndications and so those are people, just like you said, it might be a doctor or attorney, a successful business person, might even be a real estate agent that's just done well over the last you know few years. There's a lot of agents that I know that make over 200 grand. Um, there's a lot of agents that I know that make over 400 grand, right? And so they might take that money and put it into an investment thinking, yeah, I don't need that right now. Let me just put it into that investment and watch it grow. And then something comes up, right? Wife gets cancer. 
and they don't have the, the proper coverage for it. Um, kid gets into school and they didn't realize that they, they were going to get into such a, a prestigious school and it was going to cost six figures, you know, to put them through that. So that's where a lot of people end up wanting out of that scenario. And uh, yeah, there's, so that's, that's kind of your, your common scenario is there's, there's somebody that, that just put money into the deal. They expected to go for the entire amount of time, but then a life circumstance came up and I'll, I'll give it something that might relate to the audience. Cause Let's say that you have a uh, a client that you've been working with and it's a business owner. They're wanting to buy this uh, home that you found them. It's their dream home. They've always wanted this house. They've been watching it for years. It's like on their vision board. And you, you, you find out that it's for sale and they want to buy it. But a lot of their money is tied up in other things. And they're not sure how they can get liquid enough to be able to qualify for the loan to buy that house. But they're saying, you know what? I put $500,000 into this deal with a buddy of mine who was doing multifamily real estate. And uh, right now, I may, you know, it's, it's giving me a good return, but not nearly the fulfillment that owning this house would have. Mm-hmm. That would be somebody that would potentially want to sell their shares, take what, you know, some of the profit that they've earned already and go buy that dream house they were looking for. Got it. Interesting. Uh, and do you think going back to what you said in the very beginning too, when it comes to syndication and all of the legality behind it, like I, I didn't actually know that. I mean, I just thought it was simply, I actually, I would have thought that it would just be simply like forming an LLC of some sort and, and, and naming equity position. Uh, but you're saying it's not anyway, it's much more in depth than that. I mean, that's a simple way of saying it. But I would definitely say, cross your T's, dot your I's, get the proper attorneys in place. You're going to want to have somebody that understands securities because essentially you are creating a security at that point. Interesting. Interesting. Awesome. Carry on. All right. So we covered one one pillar. The next would be top off services. And so think about that same guy that he's been investing for a while. He decided to go pool funds together. He's raising the $5 million dollars. Um, he's got two and a half million dollars from the bank and he's raised, let's say $2 million of the other two and a half. And his earnest money is hard. He's put a hundred thousand dollars in earnest money down on this deal. And, uh, and he needs the rest of that money and he's coming to the end of his raise and he doesn't know where that money's coming from. A lot of syndicators have been in this scenario where you go through some sleepless nights, right? You're calling anybody and everybody that you can think of trying to get that last $500,000. So essentially what pre-iShare is gonna do is we're approving, starting off right now, we're gonna approve 50 sponsors, 50 real estate sponsors. We're gonna take them through a process the same way that we would analyze anybody that we wanted to invest with. We're gonna have them professionally reviewed. We're gonna look at their background. We're gonna look at their history. We're gonna look at you know everything else. And we'll pre-approve them as a sponsor, but then also they have access to the funds for, you know, for their, their cash. And one of the ways they can get access to it is top-off services. So let's say we look at that deal and we say, you know what, we would be willing to give you an offer letter for up to $300,000 so that you can get to the finish line. Now, all of a sudden that stress is eased. And what they can do is they can take those funds now and then they can backfill those funds out later on. So let's say they, they need to close on it because the reason they got such a good deal is they only gave themselves 45 days of due diligence, which is very short time frame to raise you know a couple million bucks, right? And so they get to the end of it, they can still go through the rest of the process, raise that money, 
pay us out with our, you know, with the, the uh, uh, let's call it interest. It's not interest, but, you know, with the profit that, that we're going to get. And then they can move the additional profit that we've left in the deal. And, and we'll just let that ride. But essentially, it's short-term money that they can use to get the deal done. Wow. Interesting. Which one, of so on that ladder, um, you know, do you see... Is is this common? I guess is the most simplest way to ask the question. Is is this common? It is. Really? Yeah. Yeah. The more you learn about real estate syndications, the more you find that this is this is like a common thing. And there's people that have gotten to that point and didn't get their final raise done, you know, and that's how they lost money. And and maybe that sours them on real estate syndication. Well, what happens? Yeah. What happens when they don't have an outlet? So let's just say you use that first scenario and they come up five hundred thousand short. What ends up happening? Because uh, what are they typically trying to do? Buy a commercial building, maybe fund a, a rehab, a project? What? What? Give me an example. Yeah, exactly. They're looking to buy that commercial building. I mean, the initial raise is usually simply to buy the asset, right? And then take it through the process. So if they didn't raise enough funds and they're not able to close, it's the same as a standard real estate transaction. If you had a buyer that all of a sudden didn't come to, to closing with their down payment, what would happen? Typically, their recourse is going to be, at the very least, they're going to lose that earnest money, right? And that earnest money in uh, a home buying scenario might be five or $10,000, whereas, you know, in a, in a large commercial deal, it may be much more. Yeah, hundreds of thousands. Exactly. And then the last, well, do you have any other questions? Fire yeah, fire away. Keep going. Yeah. So then the last service there, uh, at least financially, that we're, that we're offering as a fund is what we call pref equity, so preferred equity. And pref equity is very similar to top-off services, but this would be somebody that is midway through a deal, let's say, right? They're, they've bought the asset, they're going through the remodel process, and all of a sudden they had to do a remediation that they didn't expect. And, and that could be a, a, you know, a number of different things. Let's just say in this example, you know, they're, they're in Texas and it's black mold, right? And so they've got to remediate this mold situation. The money that they allocated for you know, doing the deal, they didn't set enough reserves aside. And so they have a couple of options. They can go try to find uh, money to borrow somewhere else. But usually if that property is not performing yet because they haven't finished a rehab, it's going to be very difficult to get bank financing behind the other bank financing that's already there. The next scenario would be they could go do a cash call to their investors. And as far as I can tell, as far as everybody has said, that's like the kiss of death. If you want somebody to never invest with you again, do a surprise cash call. Because usually those surprise cash calls are going to come time come in times when the economy is not doing so well either, right? So more recently, uh, a, a different scenario would be um, that the cost of debt has gone up. And so their debt coverage ratio on that commercial loan, uh, you know, has gone up as well. So they, they have to cover more. Um, and so therefore they're short to be able to do the refinance. And so they go to their investors and there are investors are already feeling the crunch because interest rates have gone up on everything else that they have money borrowed on. Right. And they say, Hey, we need another hundred thousand dollars from you. Usually that person, if they come up with the money and if you get it all done, those people aren't really excited to, to get into the next deal with you. So then the third option would be you come to PreGuideShare. You come to somebody like us. We have the funds and we give you the money to be able to get those things done. And then it's very similar to where you could actually backfill and pay us out 
so that you don't have to have the high cost of money long-term in the deal. So for example, if you're getting through that remediation, you might get through the remediation, you fix the property, you get it operating and, and tenant it up. And now you can go refinance with the bank and pay off our high cost of money. And therefore you're not diluting out the rest of your investors. Wow. Fascinating. Yeah. So, I mean, to me, based on what you just described, it's almost like you're playing the bank to a degree. We are, but we're different than the bank because we're not going to foreclose on you, right? We actually come in and we become partners with you. We're, we're not securing with uh, notes and trust deeds and those types of things. We're stepping in into the syndication the same way an investor would um, if you were bringing them into the deal in the first place. And you said that you would be less expensive than the original investors, which are the long-term. So what does that typically look like for a long-termer versus the short-term? Well, I wouldn't say that we would be less expensive. In fact, I would say that we're going to be probably more expensive than their original investors. And that's why we give them the option to backfill us out, right? Because if they're offering a, and I don't want to you know, throw out numbers that, that uh, seem like guarantees or promises, this is no, nothing sure. of that sort, but let's say they're offering an 8% preferred return to their investors. So a syndication, let me back this up a little bit. A syndication, typically what you're going to do is you say, hey, you invest with me. And we're going to give you an 8% preferred return on your money. And then after that, we're going to split the profit that's left. So you're kind of guaranteeing yourself. There's no guarantees in real estate, but you're guaranteeing yourself by investing with this person. You're going to get 8% first, and then you're going to get to participate in the upside later on and what they call the equity multiples. And so if they double or triple the value of that investment over the you know, five-year time frame, you get to take that cash on the back end in addition to your cash flow. So what we're going to do is we're going to come in and we'll say, we'll give you those funds, but we're going to want more like a 12 or a 14% preferred return. And so then the, the way a syndication typically is going to be, you pay your bank debt first, right? They're always first in line. And then you're going to pay your preferred return to your investors. And then you're going to have your profit splits after that. So what we'll do is we'll slot in right after the bank. So you pay the bank first, you pay us our preferred return, you pay your investors their preferred return, and then your profits come in, come after that. Do the investors have to be privy to what's going on in that in, the, in that particular case? Absolutely. Yep. Everything's got to be full disclosure. They have to be signed. They have to sign off on it as well, or do they not get to make those decisions typically? You know, typically they're not going to be able to make. They're not going to be the ones making the decisions, um, getting into that. Uh, but does, does that piss an investor off though? Like you said, if you come from with a cash call, you may not invest again. If they come to a pre-I share, now all of a sudden I drop down in the in the order of 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 getting paid back. Does that maybe lose? You know, I would say confidence. It's it's probably the best out of any scenario. If if that money is truly needed. It's either ask their investors. And if your investors are going to give you that money anyways, then by all means, do a cash call. But yeah. typically, they don't want that as a surprise. Sure. And, and what is the alternative? They potentially lose the deal, right? The deal goes bad. Uh, they don't fi finish the remediation. Cash flows get worse and worse. Like I, when I really look at it, I, I don't see people getting angry from it. But if I was a sponsor and I was doing this, I would make sure my investors understood what was going on throughout the entire process, right? I would make sure, hey, these are the challenges that we're running into. This is why we're here. This is what's going on in the economy. These are some ideas of how we can fix it. How would you guys like to move forward? 
And again, I don't know all the intricacies of how much say they have or whether there's certain voting rights that have to happen. I'm sure that it's going to be specific to how the overall syndication is written and the operating agreement within that. Uh, but again, I would just emphasize that I think it's probably the best case scenario thinking through what other options they might have. How does how does a real estate agent potentially tie into all of this? Uh, so there's a few different ways. Uh, first of all, if you are representing people, especially in commercial real estate, and you're helping them buy these properties, oftentimes your clients are syndicators. They, they are sponsors of real estate syndications, and that's how they plan on getting the deal done. And so if you introduce pre-iShare to them and say, hey, listen, I can make your raise easier because you can offer liquidity to those passive investors that are going to get into your deal. That would be one potential way. Uh, so obviously, the commission on a commercial real estate transaction like that, much bigger, right? Um, let's see, what are some other ways that, uh, that they could tap into that? I guess I talked about one of them is sometimes we're uh, talking through with people and, and you know we're working with the lender and creating a plan for them to find the funds to buy this property that they're trying to buy. Oftentimes, they may not even mention the fact that they have uh, this, this uh, passive investment over here in a, uh, a storage unit. But if you start asking the right questions, you might bring up the idea where they decide that they're going to cash out of that fractional investment in the storage unit so they can close on the deal that, that they're trying to get into. Maybe you're helping them buy a smaller multifamily unit and they're trying to step up their investment world. Nice. I love it. Uh, what, what about uh, just as a, as a real estate agent? I mean, you also mentioned it just in terms of investing, just being a part of something like this. Um, you know, it, it seems kind of counter, counterintuitive to, in a way, as an agent, you know, who has access, you'd think, you know, they want to, they, they're the ones taking the risk. They're the ones buying the properties. Um, but I, but obviously when it comes to syndication, we're not talking about an individual single family home. Uh, we're talking about something that's much greater than that, that typically, again, requires a multi hundred thousand dollar down payment, I assume. Yeah, oftentimes, for sure. Interesting. And I mean, maybe I don't know about you, but a lot of the agents that I know, they're investors themselves. And maybe this is how they get to that next level investing because they've been running their their uh, retail agent business and they've been flipping properties for a while. And they want to buy a multifamily unit, but they're not sure how. Well, they could syndicate that transaction. And then in that scenario, they want to align themselves with pre-iShare so they have access to these other tools so that they're better prepared as a syndicator. Could could uh, a syndicator uh, work with pre-iShare from day one? Uh, yes, absolutely. So there's certain ways they can. Um, and, and here's what we're finding because we just started the approval process. I think we're, we have like seven people that have actually submitted. We already have four of them that are uh, paper approved, let's call it, right? Like, meaning they've met all the specifications. There's been a couple of them though that they don't quite meet the specifications numbers wise based on the deals because they haven't taken anything full cycle. And so what we do is we can actually add additional points if they if they've done other types of transactions. So for example, if if you're going to do a 60 unit apartment complex now and you're syndicating it and you're wanting to get approved with us as a syndicator, but you've done a bunch of fourplexes and maybe some eightplexes along the way on your own and you've taken them full cycle, well, we can 
you know, logistically look at that and say, okay, it makes sense that these people understand real estate principles well enough that we could give them some additional points based off of that so that they can get access to this money from day one. Interesting. And then, of course, by writing into their operating agreement, um, the liquidity factor of it, that's that's one way that they can work with pre-ISHARE from the get-go is simply, you know, making it to where their investment is more liquid so that if they have somebody that wants out of the deal, or even if they just want the peace of mind for the people they're raising money from, they can say, hey, listen, we are specifically designed so that you can sell your fractional shares if you ever need to, to a fund like pre-ISHARE. And that's basically an alignment with pre-ISHARE. Yeah. I love it. I love it. So if somebody wanted to continue on this, I mean, I know that that's a lot to unpack and it's, that was a, a mouthful that, that you're spitting out at me. Uh, there's probably tons of questions that, that I haven't asked, uh, but we, you know, obviously there's only so much time that we have for a podcast. If somebody wants to connect and if they want to, if they, a there are two, two things, two, two answers to this question. One is, is um, if they want to just connect and learn more passively, Where's the best place to do that? So it's probably going to be the almost the same answer no matter what. First of all, go to our social media. So if you go to preishare.com forward slash community, that's one way to step into and, and find our different social medias out there. We are doing, you know, we're, we're making a big push to put a lot of content out there around all of this. Because like you said, some of it is just not known. And there's a lot of people that are in real estate syndications that don't even realize that they are. And what we're finding is, Many of these people that are our target market, so to speak, don't even call themselves any one word. So a, a passive real estate investor, an investor, you know, whatever it is, they have all these different, I mean, a lot of them, they would just call themselves a professional. It just so happens that they invest in addition, you know, in real estate. And so we're, we're putting out a lot of media out there. And that's one way you can get a lot of questions answered. And then if you just go to preisher.com, there's also the contact forms on there. Our team is is very tightly integrated. This is a full-on startup. We're talking, you know, every single week. And so if you have a specific question, the best place to ask it would be in our Facebook group, which is just the pre-iShare community group. Um, we're monitoring that very closely. And it's and it's still very uh small right now. So all questions will get answered, right? Um, and then in addition to that, if you are wanting access to the services or wanting to get approved as a sponsor, then just go to preishare.com forward slash sponsors. It's awesome. Very cool. And uh, and if they wanted to con like if they want to connect and ask questions, just which which of those options is probably the best? Would it be the Facebook group? Facebook group. Absolutely. Awesome. So go join the group. Uh, I assume probably answer some questions and then literally just message DM the group. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Just jump in there again, go to preishare.com forward slash community. That'll take you right there. You don't have to do any searching for it. Uh, and preishare is just as it's stated, P-R-E-I-S-H-A-R-E. -E, real easy to find. Anything to close with my friend? So I would just say as well, connect with me personally. You know, um, I am a, a licensed real estate professional plus an investor and I have this all going on. So I love connecting. I believe my most valuable asset is my relationships and I'm always looking to expand those. And I'm easy to find as well, as long as you can spell my name right. It's Christian with an I-O-N and then Sadler, S-A-D-L-E-R. So um, other than that, I would just say, listen, if you guys are 
are looking to expand your reach in real estate syndications, if you already are somewhat in that world, I would love to connect to you guys and what we're doing. But I'm also here as a resource for anybody that uh, that just wants some insights. Very cool, man. It's a it's it's a different world uh, comparatively to many of the conversations we're having. So it's very fascinating. I know there's a ton to this, uh, but just knowing that there's an option out there, like you said, to uh, from a fractional perspective, but even a, a solution to a problem, which it sounds like that's really why this was designed. I think that's important for people to to know about. And so if you're in this world or you know people in this world, I would share this episode. I think those syndicators, uh, investors need to know that this exists and uh, and and know that there's there's opportunity uh, that uh, that may not have existed before. So Christian, it's been a pleasure, man. Loved, uh, love, love getting to learn more. Love connecting with you guys. And uh, thank you for so much for sharing with our audience. Hey, likewise, Jeff. I appreciate you. Podcasts.